And we read this. Now Amalek, in the wilderness of Sin, now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it its name, The Lord is my banner, or Yahweh Nisi. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And we are in this war to this day. For this war, as much as it was a people group, the Amalekites, 3,500 years ago, we're told in the New Testament that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in spiritual places. We know that the devil has, with his fallen angels, an organized army, if you will, and he's at war with God. He's at war with Jesus. We see when he shows up in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 to tempt Adam and Eve, the crown jewel of God's creation of time, space, and matter, that he's there to thwart the plans of God and to destroy the beauty and the good things of God. And then the rest of the Bible, he is the destroyer. He's the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. And as we go through the Old Testament with physical battles, because there's always a spiritual battle between the physical battle. That is, again, there's always a spiritual battle behind the physical battle. And all throughout the time of even Abraham, before the Israelites were a nation, even Noah's time, all the things are spiritual battles. Leading up to this time around 1500 BC where the Amalekites attack. Now, for the next 1500 years, Israel it's going to have spiritual battles with Moab, physical battles and spiritual battles with the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, various other people, the Edomites in their region. But the Amalekites are very unique as a sworn perpetual enemy from generation to generation. And again, while they're a physical people to be blotted out from the earth, there's a spiritual entity behind them. And the spirit of Amalek reigns to this day because the objective of Amalek was to thwart and destroy the plans and purposes of God through the nation of Israel, which the apex of is the Messiah of the world, Jesus Christ, coming into the world through the nation of Israel, through the tribe of Judah, to redeem humanity and planet Earth. So it's much bigger than just Amalekites in the desert and Israelites going to the promised land. It is the promises of God in Jesus Christ, yes, yes, and amen, versus the devil, who Jesus said, I saw him cast out of heaven, sowing discord, the father of lies, a murderer, a slander, the accused of the brethren. It's that battle that is the battle behind Israel and the Amalekites 
here at this time, around 1500 BC, there in the Sinai Peninsula. And God said, through Moses, to Joshua, go and fight with Amalek. Then when the battle is done, God says there's a memorial for this victory. And the phrase, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. And that exhortation, because the Lord has sworn, we will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And the spiritual battles between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness have been raging before this time, during this time, since this time, right now, to this day. From generation to generation, this battle affected me when I was born in 1961 and growing up in the 60s and 70s, the spiritual battle behind the purposeful plans to demonically destroy our nation, being a light to the world of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of thought, and all the good things, the, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as defined by God and his word with choice and freedoms. This country, founded by all these people that believe in the Lord, that believe his word, and it has been dismantled in my timeline. Lest you forget, the year I was born was the year prayer was taken out of public schools. I still have a public school prayer book from Dallas School District from the 1930s in my collection of books. Isn't that amazing? There's been a purposeful, demonic effort to destroy this nation, specifically this nation, and England. Because England and America are the two nations that brought the gospel to the world more than any other nation in the last 200 years. And of all the nations the devil hates, and he hates all humanity, he hates America at the top of his list, and he hates England too. And we are this last Baddiston in an authoritarian, totalitarian world of freedoms, and we're seeing the loss of so many freedoms through draconian measures happening right now, even in our own country, like this dark cloud's come upon us. And it could move us, but we should not be moved because Jesus Christ is over all this. He holds the world in his hands, and all things made by him and for him, and him all things consist. And he is on the throne. And we have to ask ourselves tonight, as we go into May 2020, where there's such a spirit of fear. There's a fear of either COVID-19 or a fear of government or a fear of both. And probably both fears are valid. So the most important fear to put before those fears is fear the Lord. As Joshua said, as for me, my household will serve the Lord. But well, that means fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as this darkness seems to be coming upon us and changing our liberties and threatening even future liberties, we need to trust in the Lord. And we need to realize we are in the battle of the ages, but we've inherited this battle from previous generations. I mean, Pastor Chuck fought this battle before he went to be at the Lord. Billy Graham fought this battle before he went to be at the Lord. Now Anne Graham Watts' daughter fights this battle. And his son, Franklin Graham, fights this battle. Billy Graham preached in Central Park. Franklin Graham sets up beds for people COVID-19 in Central Park and gets attacked by the leftist globalists who hate his guts because he believes the Bible. But there's people that attacked Billy Graham's dad for preaching in Central Park because they hated the gospel message then. So Billy had to fight this battle. Now Franklin and Ann fight this battle. It's this long spiritual battle, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, that precedes time, space, and matter and is outside of time, space, and matter, but affects things in time, space, and matter. And as the Lord says through Moses to Joshua, go fight Amalek, we have to ask ourselves, what is the Lord saying to us? Well, we only need to look at the Bible. There in the latter part, I've 
the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, Paul the apostle, led by the Holy Spirit, tells us we need to put on the whole armor of God and we need to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. We need to realize our battle ultimately is with the devil and the demonic realm. And we don't win that battle like a wrestling match with humanity. We fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. And we're told that apart from the armor of God itself, with the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, our feet are the gospel of peace, we're told we take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the armor of God that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6, and always praying, always praying, so the shield of faith, sword of spirit, which is the word of God, and always praying. So that's our weapons of warfare. Our armor is always forward. Amalek's in front of us. The next thing God wants to do in our life, it goes through Amalek. Every step forward to the kingdom of God is a spiritual battle. You wish it wasn't, but it is. We have to repel the darkness. We can't grow weary in doing good. We need to take up the whole armor of God and having done all, stand and stand in that day, we're told. And we need the shield of faith. We need to see all this stuff through faith in Jesus Christ because he's the author and finisher of our faith. So put author and finisher of your faith in front of that shield and say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as you look at this world and all these things going around us, you pick up your shield of faith like Joshua and you put that thing right there and you say like Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of faith, I have faith in the living God and all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And he's coming to get me. And he's going to raise me from the dead. He's appointed me to live at this time. And he has a purpose for my life in the church at this time, even though we can't even gather collectively as a church at this time in the way that we're used to. That, that shield of faith from the armor of God, faith is the something's hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So when we think about this long spiritual battle with Amalek that we enter into, we have to have the shield of faith. Then we have to have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need to trust in the word of God. We need to live, breathe, inhale, live in every cell of our body the word of God, every promise of the word of God. We need to absorb it and believe it and have it. And we need to proclaim it. The word of God is the final authority. And if you know the word of God, then you'll know how to make the right decisions from God in your personal life when you may face things and difficult decisions that may come your way for all of us collectively as the church or for you individually as member of the body of Christ. But don't forget, Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his church. We are the bride of Christ. So any political force attacking his church, they're attacking the bride of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ died for his bride. He rose from the grave for his bride. He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for his bride. And he's coming in glory for his bride. So don't you worry about evil men and women plotting evil against the church. Jesus loves his church. And as Pastor Chuck used to say, you can fight your battles, but you can let God fight his battles for his purposes. So armor of God, the shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit, always praying. Because Amalek is relentless, and he always pops up. Now, in the context of Amalek here, Joshua won the battle, but it was not an easy battle. Look, you just talk about a dream team. For a ministry, because you have like Paul and Silas and Manasseh and those guys in Acts 13 when they're all praying and fasting and God says, set aside Saul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to. That's a dream team. How about the apostles in the upper room, Acts chapter 1? That's a dream team. With the women, it's a dream team. How's this for a dream team? Moses, Joshua, Aaron and her? Are you kidding me? 
Moses, the lawgiver, Joshua, the one who conquered the land, and Aaron, the first high priest. And then her, like he's like, there's always a guy like her on any sports team, right? Just someone that does everything that needs to be done. Her's amazing. This is a dream team. And it took the entire collective effort of these four incredible men to find victory through the power of God over Amalek. Amalek is a relentless, wicked force. You cannot defeat, we cannot defeat the devil and the principalities and powers in our own flesh. We've seen the book of Acts where that guy's like, hey, I'm going to cast out demons and this and that way. And the devil's like, Jesus I know and Paul I know. I don't know you. And he thrashes the guy and strips him down naked. We're in a spiritual battle. And we need spiritual weapons. Faith, word of God, prayer. Now, Amalek was defeated. But Amalek didn't go away. And Amalek pops up in 500 years after this, when God tests Saul, the first king, to destroy the Amalekites. He doesn't. Samuel has to kill Agag. They're to be wiped out. One Amalekite will destroy everybody and everything. Far more dangerous than a COVID-19 virus infection. One Amalekite destroys an entire society. And then later on, they're in the captivity, after the Babylonian captivity, to the Medo-Persian captivity during that 70-year time. Haman, he's an Amalekite. And he gets a decree to wipe out all the Jewish people throughout the entire Medo-Persian empire. He hates Mordecai, and he's going after the Jews. Now, Haman built the noose to hang Mordecai, but he himself hung on that noose, which is what you sow, you'll reap. But it almost worked. Listen, Haman had a decree from the Medo-Persian Empire, which, you know, you can't be revoked. He had this diabolical scheme that almost had all the Jews wiped out around 525 B.C., somewhere in that range. Then... 500 years later, when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, Herod the Great, who's an Amalekite in his bloodline, wants to kill Jesus and kills the babies there in that region. Amalekite, 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 Amalekite. And the common thread of what Amalek is doing with the devil behind him is trying to keep Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who had been promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, from coming into the world to redeem the world and save the world. All the things that the devil did to destroy humanity between the Garden of Eden until the time of the Malachites, he was doing, but he centralized his purposes and objective against the nation of Israel, who is the apple of God's eyes. We're told in the Old Testament, the apple of his eye. His wife. Israel's called his wife in the Old Testament. We're his bride, the church. Israel was his wife. And the devil worked through the Amalekites. Now, he worked through other countries that came against Israel. But, you know, God, like God permitted Babylonians. He permitted Assyrians. He sent Jonah to see tens of thousands of Assyrians come to the faith in Jesus Christ in that sense of the Old Testament. He showed mercy on Nebuchadnezzar as well. But there's no mercy for the Amalekites. Of all those foes Israel had, the Amalekites were a people so demonically and so demonically inspired to destroy Israel for one purpose, to keep Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, from coming into the world. For the gospel is the good news to the Jew first, then the Gentiles, all the nations, to prevent that from happening. Then Christ came, lived the perfect sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave for our hope and justification. The devil didn't understand these things because he put Jesus on the cross, not realizing that was where Jesus would make a public spectacle of him, we're told in Colossians, 
and conquer him from rising from the grave. And we're told in Revelation chapter 6, there's a title deed for planet Earth that Jesus has redeemed back from the fall in, in the garden chapter 3. In chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, they forfeited the title deed of planet Earth. When Jesus defeated Satan on the cross and rose from the grave, he redeemed planet humanity and planet Earth back to God. That's the way God did it. He's the kinsman redeemer. And he sits at the right hand of the Father right now, ever interceding for us, and watching the affairs and the events of the world from a different dimension until he comes for his second coming for his church and then with his church to set up his reign and kingdom. Where we're told in the Revelation, he takes the scroll, the title deed of earth, and then he loosens the four horsemen of the apocalypse and all those things, the seven seals before the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, and they're coming, let me tell you. Now, church, Jesus loves you. He loves his church. But world, oh, it's coming. There's a generation of humanity that's going to say something. I'm going to quote exactly what they're going to say. The wrath of the Lamb has come, and who is able to stand? Humanity will be reduced to one-fourth of its current population, which is exactly what the globalists want anyways. So it'll go from 8 billion to 2 billion. And those 2 billion will still be raging against the Lord. They will not repent of their sins, we're told in Revelation. But in chapter 6, when Jesus opens the title, he takes the title deed and begins the judgment in the Great Tribulation period, that generation will say, the wrath of the Lamb has come. And who is able to stand? But they'll still fight the Lamb. And then we're told in Revelation that there's war in heaven between Michael and Satan. It's there. People say, well, is that in there in chapter 13? Is that like before everything as we know it? Or is that during everything? I mean, what's it matter? It's going on right now. We're in a spiritual battle. So if it's before or during or after, it's like it's a different dimension. It's happening. The book of Revelation describes all kinds of things happening that are God's justice, God's grace, God's judgment, and Satan's demise. In fact, we get to Revelation where it says that Satan is cast into the lake of fire. He's bound for a thousand years during the reign of Christ, and then he's cast into the lake of fire. He's gone once and for all. And the new heaven and the new earth, no more tears, no more sorrow. That's where we're headed, but Amalek... And the Amalekites represent the demonic effort of the fallen kingdom to keep that from happening. They tried to keep Jesus from coming to redeem through the cross, not knowing that's how the redemption would take place. Now they know that. I mean, the demons definitely know. Remember what James said? The demons believe. They know. <laughs> the demons believe. They know. They know. Hey, how about Legion? Are you coming to cast us before our time? They know. They're on a timeline, a different timeline than our timeline, because Jesus loves his church. We're going to glory. They're going into damnation, because hell was made for the devil and his demons. And Jesus said, I saw him cast out. And we're told that when he was cast out, Satan, who was once so beautiful and became so ugly. Oh, he was like the morning star. He was so beautiful in that different dimension. But when he fell, he became the father of lies. He's the dragon, he's the serpent, and he's headed for judgment, and he took a third of the angels with him in that rebellion. They had choice, we have choice, you have choice. So in this battle of Amalek, it's the spiritual battle between Christ and Satan. And the victory is already ours, but it's playing out right now. And we should not be surprised by the events we see because Jesus said these things would be happening. Paul the apostle through the Holy Spirit said these things would be happening. What we're seeing around us 
I mean, I know Don Stewart has a TV show on his channel where basically he does a one-hour news every day where he talks about how the news is related to biblical prophecy. We're in it. We are living in the most incredible, exciting, terrifying time in human history. And we're in it. But it's exciting because Jesus loves his church and he's coming for his church. So praise the Lord. Now, in this battle, we're in it. And we're fighting a spiritual battle and we need to fight with spiritual weapons. So God said, go out and fight this battle. It's a battle from generation to generation. It's not the Amalekites. It's the devil behind the Amalekites. It's a spiritual battle. And we're told that it says, tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod in my hand. That's verse 9 where Moses. So again, just in the context here, in talking about the armor of God and prayer, we have Moses reminding or stating to Joshua that he will be on the hill with the rod of God. Now, that rod of God is supernatural. It's God's power. You've seen that with the 10 plagues. We, we, I mean, the rod of God is the power. It parts the Red Sea. It turns the water and the, the Nile from water to blood. It's supernatural. The rod is the power of God. And so we need to be reminded in this spiritual battle that we have supernatural power behind us because the shield of faith is supernatural power. It strengthens us. The word of God is supernatural power because it's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces bone and marrow in the human experience. And it is the one thing that profoundly defeats the devil. We don't need to talk about the word of God. We need to use the word of God. It is our weapon against the kingdom of darkness. God says, my word will go forth and it will do what I purpose. It's a supernatural force to fight this battle. And so we have our faith. We have the word of God that's living and powerful. And we have prayer, which moves mountains. Now we're told, this, is, this, this really looks like intercessory prayer, but we're told that the faith of Elijah, where he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three years, and it didn't, and then it, that it would rain, and it did, it did rain. We know that with prayer, you can stop weather. And then you can start weather up. Jesus is saying yesterday and forever. Is he any different for us than he was for Elijah at the book Cherith? No. He's the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The power of God represented in Moses' staff that had the power supernaturally, spiritually, in the spiritual battle behind the physical battle is the same power we have. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty in God for tearing down strongholds, for everything that exalts itself against the name of Jesus Christ. And these are people, and these are forces exalting themselves against the name of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about that. And it's prayer. It's prayer. Supernatural power of prayer that is equivalent of Moses' rod in this story. Prayer moves mountains. Jesus said, if you believe, you can say to this mountain, go from here to there. Now, that might be a hyperbole, but is it really? Because Elijah prayed it wouldn't rain, and it didn't, and then he prayed it would, and it did. So we need to come face Amalek. And when God says through Moses, hey, you got to go. You got to fight this battle. We need to wake up and fight this battle. And we got to fight it with spiritual weapons. We need to be abiding in Christ with love and humility, and then we got to gird up that, that armor. And we got to come with our faith, and we got to come with the Word of God, and we got to come with prayer, and we got to do business with God. 
We got to plead and beg for mercy. So that that rod is representative of God's power with his people. And as long as Moses was holding up that rod, they prevailed. And it's like, we need to keep praying. We need to not go where we're do, doing good. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. What happened in the book of Acts when there's threats against Peter and all, and all that stuff and James? They prayed. They prayed. They prayed. We need to keep praying. We need to keep praying. We need to accept the responsibility and the stewardship of our personal life and in our homes to be praying reverently and powerfully for the events and times and seasons that we live in. We need to be praying for all men, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Pray for all men, kings and authorities. Pray for them. Pray for them that they would be repentant before the Lord, that they'd be saved. Hey, you know, some Caesars burn Rome and blame the Christians and then massacre them. Other Caesars get saved and make it legal in Rome to be a Christian. Who knows what the Lord has? At any rate, we only got one life, and I'm sure all of us when we get to eternity would, will think that we wish we would have prayed more than we did. So we need to pray. Get that, get that power, stand in that power, believe in that power, and get that rod up, and we need to pray. We need to pray, because our battle is the battle of the ages, and it's, 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 it's like been accentuating. It's like it's building up. So we don't want to shrink back and run for the hills like Chicken Little. We want to hold our ground on our knees and pray. In fact, it says that when Moses' hands became heavy, they took, verse 12, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and then they held up his hands. You know, we got to dig deep. So we got to come with the power of God, and we've got to, you know, we, we, we've got to, we, we got to, we got to come, man. We got, we got to be in business. We got to get the, we got to get to the top of the hill and get that arm up, and we got to go, and then we got to dig deep. We got to outwill the kingdom of darkness. That's what we got to do. Amalek is not a weak opponent. Amalek is a ferocious opponent. And we need to match the intensity. The father of lies is the father of darkness, and his intensity is destruction. So we need to camp ourselves at the foot of the father of light and the father of truth, by whom there's no shadow of turning. And we need to match the intensity. Now, the difference or the assurance that we have in our battle of digging deep is we're not digging deep to find something more in us. But we're digging deep to go deeper with the Lord and be reminded that the battle's the Lord's. And we've already got the victory. We're not hoping for victory. The cross is victory. We're coming from victory. We're not hoping for victory. And we know that we can trust in the Lord no matter what goes on. We might see many injustices between now and eternity for many of us listening to this study right now and for the body of Christ globally. We might see a lot of injustices. But God is not using time as, a means, as, as an end, but time is a means to an end to refine us and prepare us for the next dimension, which is forever. So we got to dig deep. Someone find a boulder and get it under Moses. Someone grab his arms and hold it up. And can you picture Aaron and her just like holding his arms? Like they're digging deep. We got to dig deep. You know, like in sports, it's like, you know, like we got to dig deep right now. But we're not digging deep per se to manufacture something from us. We're digging deep to let go of us and press into the Lord and be reminded we're coming from victory. And the Lord allows all of it. 
So whatever's going to happen, and I speak for myself to hear, whatever's going to happen, the Lord's on the throne. Don't ever think the Lord's not on the throne, and don't ever think Jesus does not love his church. He is on the throne. He is the final authority, and he loves his church. So whatever is going on, it's allowed by the Lord to press us into the Lord, to bring perfect justice, I'm sure, in all events and circumstances, and to prepare us for eternity. And then that last thing that we see is the Lord is my banner, Yahweh Nisi. Our banner is the cross. Our banner is the cross. The cross is the banner of perpetual war against Amalek. The cross is the banner that reminds Satan he is completely, thoroughly defeated by the living God. And all the schemes and the lies and deception of the father of lies will be dealt with when he's cast into the lake of fire. And he is cast into the lake of fire at the end of the age because of the authority, the victory, the total triumph of the cross of Jesus Christ where he made a public spectacle of Lucifer, Jesus Christ, the son of God. And Jesus says, you don't go out on your own banner. Don't go out on the banner of like, hey, we're going to do this and that and everything else. No, we come under the blood like we talked about two weeks ago. We're under the blood, and our banner is Jesus Christ. Our banner is Jesus Christ. And his banner over us, Solomon tells us, is love in the Song of Solomon. We're under his banner of love. It's a banner of victory, and it's an assurance of the ultimate triumph of light over darkness, of good over evil, of what's true and praiseworthy and virtuous over what's false, evil, and demented. It's the ultimate victory of life over death, heaven over hell for all the ages. Yahweh Nisi, his banner over us is the cross and it's total victory. And you know, like some people are really offended by the cross. I'm not. You know, like the, the cross, Paul said the cross is an offense. And even back in the day when, you know, there were wars and people put the cross on their shield, they're like, well, you know, like, whatever. You weren't there. You didn't live then. You don't know what they're fighting. You know what they're up against. That wasn't our time. Solomon said that one generation rises, they don't even know what the last generation went through. We don't know human history. We think we know human history. But all human history has an angle of how people want us to see history anyways, just like our current news. I'm telling you, the cross is the symbol of victory. And don't shrink back from it. Yahweh Nisi. So this battle has been going on for the ages from the outside of time, space, and matter. It landed in the garden. It's run right on through the Amalekites right to this day. It will be dealt with and completed in the book of Revelation when Satan's cast in the lake of fire. And all the people of faith from Abel to us right now and those who come after us if the Lord tarries we're all in it. It's from generation to generation, and it's spiritual. And God has called us into this battle, whether we want to be in it or not, because we inherited it. We're either a slave and a POW for Satan, or we have to fight him, but not in our own strength. Joshua, go. Go fight him. So God says this, you fight this battle, and you fight it with the rod of God the, the power of God, the supernatural power of God, and you get up on that hill, and you raise your arms, and you get after it, you get after it, and you mean business. 
And then when it gets difficult and you can't stand, you need help, we need to carry one another, encourage one another, support one another, and we need to dig deep, 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 deep into the cross. And we need to find another level with the Lord in our relationship with the Lord. And really, what would COVID-19 be if we're not going deeper with the Lord? My goodness, can you imagine going through this and not getting stronger in the Lord? Like, God forbid you come through COVID-19 and not be deeper in the Lord. That would be the worst thing ever. We've got to come out of COVID-19 deeper, stronger in the Lord. Women of God, men of God. And then we need to know that memorial, Yahweh Nishi, total victory. Total victory, WG, total victory. Jesus loves his church. He's got this. All eyes on Jesus.